Our scripture this morning is from Acts 15, 1 through 11, taken from the New Living Translation. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Barbara. Well, how well do you handle conflict? I haven't met too many people that are like, oh, I love conflict. But today we're going to talk about one of the first and probably largest conflicts or controversies in church history. I don't want it to be a history lesson, but I think it's got huge implications for those of us who follow Jesus. And the controversy is about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, it happens after this guy, Saul, who becomes Paul, and his traveling companion, Barnabas, have been on some missionary journeys, or what the Bible calls missionary journeys, meaning they traveled throughout all of these cities, these small villages and large cities, and they were sharing the message of Jesus and starting new churches all around the north and east of the Mediterranean Rim. And I, we're going to look at it from this standpoint of what are the implications as people who follow Jesus? And what does it mean to help others follow Jesus in the midst of this, especially when there's tension, controversy, or conflict? And as Barbara said, that 
Paul and Barnabas had come back after this missionary journey. They'd come to this place called Antioch. Antioch, from where we live right now, would be like, think Winnipeg, Canada. Okay, So Antioch is in Syria. The people are in Judea, which is where Jerusalem is. So different country, kind of different place, different culture. And in this place is actually where the first uh, believers in Jesus are referred to as Christians. Up until this point, they've only been known as followers of the way, this little sector, this little part of the Jewish faith. And when Paul and Barnabas had traveled through these cities and started these new churches, many of the people that responded were Jewish in their ethnicity and in their faith, but many weren't, and they responded to the good news of Jesus anyway. And if you've been reading uh, your Immerse Bible, your Immerse Messiah Bible, then maybe you picked up that in the book of Acts and in the letters of Galatians and Thessalonians and Corinthians, that after Paul and Barnabas went through these cities and said, hey, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, people are like, awesome. They didn't say, which ironically, we had four boys up for dedication, right? Four boys, okay? So... They didn't say, okay, there's this little surgery that those boys need to have. Actually, you need to have it too if you haven't done that. And then there's these rules that you need to keep. And so Paul and Barnabas never said that. But after they left town, there were these other people that either came to these towns in person or wrote letters pretending to be Paul and said, no, 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 no. You actually do need to follow all of these extra rules. They're not extra at all. Notice the controversy. Now, up until this point, anyone who wanted to be a part of the Jewish faith needed to become Jewish, meaning they needed to start eating the right foods, stop eating the wrong foods. They needed to start wearing the right clothes. They needed to worship God in the right ways And on the right days, they needed to obey not only the Ten Commandments, but also the, what, 613 other commands that their religious leaders had made. And all these boys and men would need to have a small but sensitive and painful surgery um, known as circumcision, (laughs) which is not part of our dedication or baptism, just so you know. (laughs) But in their minds, it made perfect sense that if this is what you had to do to become Jewish and, and Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, that everyone and everyone up until that point, almost everyone up until that point, who was a believer in Jesus was Jewish, it made perfect sense to them that in order to become a Christian, you would first need to become Jewish. We might say it like this. Like someone starts attending church and we say, oh, That is just wonderful that you've come to the church, that you believe in Jesus, and you want to be part of it. We totally want to welcome you. There's just a few things you need to do. Um, Like those those marks that you have on your body, you might need to cover some of those up. And and some of the piercings that, you know, aren't on your ears, you might need to take out. And, you know, there's these days that we need to worship God. and, And here's the acceptable clothing attire that you need to wear. And there are some words that you can say, but some words you're not supposed to say. Um, And, oh, and there's this surgery you need to have. But, but, oh, and once you've been here for a long enough time, then come on in. We're totally welcome. Right? Like this is why some of you or 
your friends or your family left church or aren't really interested in coming back in because there's this feeling that you're not good enough. That's the controversy that is here. And yet on the other side of this are the, are the church people. They're the, the Jewish people in this story, but I think if you've been a part of Jesus Church for 10 years or more, you probably know there are some moral and ethical standards. I mean, even the New Testament is filled with Jesus saying things like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your parents, uh, serve the poor, feed the hungry, help those who aren't able to help you back. I mean, this is part of Jesus' teachings. Even Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. So, In the midst of this beautiful, incredible message of grace and forgiveness, there's also this message of truth and challenge. That there are certain beliefs and behaviors that that we have that go against God that we need to turn away from and be changed. And in the midst of this, it's like the truth of the gospel and the grace of the gospel are in conflict. See, whenever there's conflict in the church, people start acting really weird. I don't know if you've studied this, but sometimes they put up fences or make rules. It's like they want to, it's hard to tell if they're trying to preserve the essence of what they have or if they're trying to make sure the right people get in and the wrong people stay out. Controversy. And so finally, what we hear in the story is that the church decides to send Barnabas and Paul to Jerusalem, accompanied by some of the believers from that area, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. And so they arrive, and they're welcomed by the church, including the leaders, and they report everything that God has done. Okay, I want us to catch this. First, we don't know about the people that traveled up to Antioch, We don't know what their faith background was, but we do know in the story, it quickly shifts that when they come down and they're welcomed, everyone who's in the conversation believes in Jesus. This isn't a controversy between people who believe in Jesus and people who don't believe in Jesus. They all believe in Jesus, and yet still there's tension. Second, the Antioch church community realized that this controversy is just bigger than their group and their church and their city, and they ask for help. I think the church gets into a lot of trouble. I think people get into a lot of trouble when they have this tension in their minds or in a relationship, and they just try to figure it out all by themselves. No, the church was really wise here, and I think there's actually a way when we experience tension and it starts leading towards conflict, that we can walk through conflict well. Where it leads to curiosity and conversation. Where at the end of those conversations, there could actually be celebration instead of angst and bitterness and crumbling all over the place. But we've got to avoid some slides that are super easy to make and instead make some commitments. And I see these commitments come right out of this story. So the first thing they avoid is this slide towards suspicion and away from curiosity. 
they willingly welcome them, and they listen to what they have to say with curiosity. They're trying to seek to understand what has happened. And man, in this letter to the Galatians, uh, we hear that people are spreading rumors about Paul, like he's a second-class apostle. He's like on the JV team. He's not really varsity. You shouldn't listen to him. And really, he kind of misspoke about the message of Jesus and forgiveness. And in all the other churches that he goes to, he talks about requiring this little surgery. So he must have just forgotten for some reason, but you really need to do these things. That's what was being spread after he went through the, the churches in um, this region called Galatia. In the letter to Thessalonians, Paul actually had to say, uh, hey, here's my greeting in my own handwriting. I do this in all my letters to prove they are for me. I don't think he actually said that in 1 Thessalonians, but he had to say that in the- 2 Thessalonians because people were writing letters pretending to be Paul, saying these are all the extra things you need to do. They're not extra. So there's uh, apparently fake news was around before our current president. I'm just saying But I I think this is the first slide because it's, again, so, so easy to make. I catch myself doing it all the time as a parent. Like, inevitably, it is wind-down time. Now, this I thought would get easier as my kids got older. Oh, my gosh. If you don't have kids, like, just wait or talk to someone. Like, wind-down time means the screen's all get shut off, okay, all of them, which is hard for the parents. And then they go in the office charger or on the kitchen counter, and then we go upstairs. And then, then we, you know, we, we brush and flush and wash. And then we put our PJs on. And then if you do it quickly, like you can sit in your room and read. Oh. And then, you know, we might even get to say goodnight and pray. And it's like, okay, we're all going upstairs. And it doesn't matter who, someone ends up downstairs. And I'm like, what are you doing downstairs? Suspect all over my voice, which usually makes this child add like a splash of sassy sauce. Whoa, uh, and then, which makes me, and then, no, just kidding, it doesn't make me do anything because then my wife comes out and she goes, seriously, you're the adult. If you want their respect, you need to give them respect. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> if you don't know me, trust me, it's, that's how it happens. <laughs> but instead of assuming the worst, Paul and Barnabas get to talk about their situation with the whole church, including the leaders. The leaders, I have to believe, the leaders believe the best about what they were saying and doing. Tell us about it. It's a a slide that we can make in any time we experience tension. Personally, interpersonally, as a church. But if we make this commitment to believe the best about others, we can avoid that slide. When it starts to feel tense or angst, we can go, oh, what does it mean to believe the best about this person? Imagine, just imagine how your relationships at work would change if you believe the best about your coworkers, about your employees, or about your boss. Imagine how your marriage or 
Your parenting would change if you have those roles. When you entered a conversation with trust and curiosity instead of suspicion and doubt. The whole church listened curiously. And I think Paul and Barnabas probably said something like, well, we traveled to this city and we met with the Jewish people at the synagogue, which is like we met the church people at church and we shared about what their prophet said about the Messiah, how he must suffer and die and how on the third day he would be raised again. It's written all over this, this First Testament. And lots of those people, well, some of those people, Yes, they accepted. Others, they had more questions. And then some, they got angry, actually drove us out of the synagogue. So when we were on the streets, we just started sharing about Jesus there. And many of those people believed as well. And so we, we told them the God of the universe has made a way for all people to be restored with him. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It isn't about what religion you practice or don't practice. It isn't even about how good or bad you are. It's about Jesus, it's about God sending himself in Jesus Christ. Just as the Jewish prophets predicted. And Jesus is that fulfillment and it was proven because he was raised from the dead. And people are like, oh, yes, I want that, I want that, I want that. It's just less and less of those people were Jewish. And so he says, the Syrians, they're coming to Jesus. The Phoenicians, they're turning to Jesus. The Cilicians, they're turning to Jesus. The Cretans, I mean, they're, they're, that island's crazy, but they're turning to Jesus. The people from East Asia, they're turning to Jesus. The Macedonians, they're turning to Jesus. The Greeks, they're turning to Jesus. I even heard the Romans are turning to Jesus. And there's much rejoicing. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, Acts 15, 5, and 6, said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And so the apostles and elders met to consider this question. The Pharisees are like this group of church people who are super disciplined, super religious, super in love with the rules, and traditions and laws. They're the people that not only follow the Ten Commandments nearly perfectly, they have all 613 commandments, uh, like requirements, memorized. And they love to share them with people. It's like people who love golf. And like, oh, nope, you can't do that. Like, nope, section, uh, rule 13-4, you need to do it this way. And I was golfing with my dad, my cousin, and my brother-in-law, uh, six weeks ago for my parents' 50th anniversary and I inevitably hit it into the, like, near the water but not in the water, but it had the red line so I had to pick up my ball and, like, go drop it in the drop area, like, stretch out my arm, do the drop of shame and it bounced all over my dad's like, oh, you did, you did it wrong. I'm like, I didn't do it wrong. This is how you told me to do it, like, since I was 11. He's like, no, no, they changed the rules. It's just from knee height now. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, because then it doesn't bounce as far. I know, I know it doesn't bounce as far. Come on. Of course. And then we get up to the green, and I'm like, do you want me to tend the flag stick? Because that's what you're... No, no, you, you can leave that flag stick, and you can even hit the flag stick. There's no penalty for that. Wow. Seriously? Yeah, I mean, speeds up play. Uh, what? Yeah. And then my brother-in-law. We're on the next like, three tees later, and... If you're a golfer, Sergio Garcia, like, hit the ball. Come on. So, I love him. So, he's, 
and he hits the ball off. And I did that at a golf tournament when I was a senior in high school. And that, that's a stroke, number one, four inches, and you don't even get to tee it up again. It's, ugh. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can just put it up. I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, you inadvertently hit the ball on the tee or addressing the ball or on the green. You just put it back, no stroke. Ugh. Like, I spent years learning these rules. And then they change them. And then another part of me is like, okay, these changes are straightforward. They actually reduce the number of rules. They make the game faster and more enjoyable to play. And let's face it, golf was a dying sport, and less and less people were playing it because it's so freaking complicated. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we could talk about that for some time. I don't even know where it was. <laughs> oh, I say that because sometimes it's so easy to judge the church people. And it's like they're saying, we love Jesus, but it, this is hard. Messing with the rules. I mean, we have traditions that date back a thousand years. We've got this mark of circumcision from Abraham that's 2,000 years I mean, why can't they just behave like us if they want to become one of us? So, before we judge them, or even ourselves, we need to look at the ways that it's so easy to slide towards rules and away from relationship. When we experience this tension and when we're walking into conflict, honestly, if you think about it, most of us want to run as fast as we can in the other direction. And what's easier than having conversations? Policies, rules. Like, then you don't have to talk about it. Think about it. As, church, as, as any church, but as the church grows, the tendency is just to make more and more rules. Then if we make rules, it's going to be easier for people to follow them, to know what to expect. It's going to be easier for people who are already in there, but it's going to be more and more difficult for the people who aren't in to get in. And the insiders are like, you know, I mean, if we had more rules, um, then we wouldn't have to ask the staff about it then we just know what to do. And the staff is like, yeah, that's right. I don't need to have more phone calls. And you know, if, if the leadership, if they created more policies, then, this, then we wouldn't, as the staff, have to ask the leadership. So we should have policy. And I'm sure the leadership team is thinking, hey, that's great. If we have more policies, those are easy. Then we don't have to meet with anybody. Just make a rule. That's what's going on in this thing? Do we want to make it easy for people to get in? Do we want to make it a little bit harder? Just so we know. Just so we can not have to walk into the controversies. And not even from a scared point, like we don't want to do them bad. And it says in Acts 15, 7, after the meeting, at the meeting, after a long discussion, and they didn't even talk about golf, Peter, Peter, the Peter who was the first to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, Peter, who Jesus says, you will be, you will on, on, and you, Peter, on this truth, you will build my church. 
that Peter stands up and says, Brothers and sisters, you all know that God chose me from among you from some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. He might have talked about when he went to Cornelius, the Italian commander. He didn't behave like us, but he became one of us. God gave him the Holy Spirit, proving that he was right with God. And, and that's what God was doing in all these other little countries, giving them the Holy Spirit. I think Peter could have included what Paul includes in his letter to the Galatians. Because it's in the, all in the same context, where Peter could have said, hey, I was preaching to the Jews. Peter was, or Paul was preaching to the Gentiles. I went up to meet with the new believers in Antioch, and I messed up. Paul and Barnabas, they had told them about Jesus. They had become followers of Jesus, and they invited us to dinner. And so we were eating together, and they made hot and sour pork and sweet and sour chicken, and we could eat the chicken and not the pork, but it was okay. And then the Jewish people came, and I, I didn't go back. I was afraid of what they were going to think. And that hypocrisy not just, didn't just affect the church. Barnabas even stepped away. And Paul had to rebuke both of us. He says in Galatians 2.16, A person is made right with God by faith in Christ, not by obeying the rules. Paul and Peter had this huge public conflict. They actually did it pretty well. But Peter left that part out of the speech in Acts. But, Paul, but Luke, who wrote Acts, did say Peter concluded it this way. 15.8, uh, God knows people's hearts. See, I don't know your heart. I just know that you park on the street, like not in your driveway or your garage, like normal suburban people are supposed to do. God knows your heart. But maybe you just see the words someone uses or the music they listen to or the work they do. God knows people's hearts and he can purify a heart way before Holy Spirit starts to make the changes in someone's life. Why are we challenging God by burdening the Gentiles with some teaching that neither we nor our ancestors could even keep? All those rules, those 613, you don't do them Perfectly, that's why the Jewish people made all these sin offerings, because they know they messed up. The whole point, Peter is saying, is the undeserved grace of Jesus. That's what we're putting up. If we're putting up the undeserved grace of Jesus, and we're putting up all the rules and saying, oh, you got to keep all these, even though we know you're not going to keep them. No, that's why Jesus fulfilled them. Uh, in seminary, one of my professors said it like this, and it totally worked for me, so I hope it works for you. Like, a mortgage is a great thing. If you're young and you're like, what? Like, the, the payment plan, the bank helps you to pay for the house. So you can have a house. If you have a mortgage, then you get in the house before you've paid for the house. And as long as you keep paying the mortgage, then you can keep staying in the house. It's a really good thing. But once that picky 30 years of paying for it is done, why would you keep paying it? 
it's paid for. But keeping the law after Jesus has fulfilled it is, is like paying for the mortgage saying, oh, this is such a good thing to do. We should just keep doing it. Even though we already own the house, let's just keep, keep it going. No, it's fulfilled. The law served a great purpose. It showed the people that they fell short of God's standard and that they needed a savior. And that savior fulfilled it. So why would we keep doing it and keep requiring, keep making it hard for people who are far from God, who didn't grow up with the rules, who don't know the songs or the standards, why would we make it hard for them to find Jesus? If God didn't make a distinction, why would we challenge him and make that distinction? And when we make rules, it's to make the distinction. We make rules to balance the tension we feel between the grace and the truth. But Jesus, Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. That's the, this crazy, beautiful statement John makes in John 1.14 when he's reflecting on Jesus' life and he says, you know, God came to us and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. It was glorious and Jesus was the fullness of grace and truth. It wasn't the balance of grace and truth. He was the fullness of grace and truth. And I think that's maybe the point. The only way we can experience the fullness of grace and truth is in relationship. We have to be in relationship with each other. And that means that we got to have few, a few rules. I mean, there are certainly rules that Paul gives after this. I mean, there's certain craziness happening in Corinth. And he's like, whoa, 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 no incest anymore. Like, that's not okay. Not like, well, just a little. No. So it's not saying chuck every rule. It's just saying the point isn't the rules. The point is the relationship with this God who reveals himself in Jesus and makes a way for us. Not just us, but even people who are far, far, far from him. It would be like these boys that we had dedicated growing up and saying, okay, we love you, but you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to, oh, you can't make, haven't quite made that, but, you know, keep going, keep trying, a little bit harder. No. If we want to be people who can experience tension and walk through conflict well, we need to believe the best about others, but we also need to commit to be full of grace and truth. And if we commit to be full of grace and truth, I think we have to start with grace. Because isn't that what God did to us? Didn't he start with grace? Over and over, Old Testament and New Testament start with grace. Because God can purify our heart way before he changed our behavior. And he can purify our heart way before we drop, drop that ugly habit God can purify our heart before we fix our marriage. God can purify our heart before we own up to the fact that we have some insecurities that drive us into behaviors that we are ashamed of. And if he can do that for you and for me, he can do that for people who are very far away. God was at work 
And these people in Thessalonia, and the people in Galatia, and the people in Corinth, and the people in Rome. And God was at work, is at work in the people in Minneapolis, and St. Paul, and Egan, and Lakeville, and Apple Valley. And it's messy, and it's hard, and it's worth it. So James, the brother of Jesus, gets up. He acknowledges what's been said, and he says, hey, we're wrapping this up. In my judgment, we need to not make it difficult for the people who are far from Jesus to come to Jesus. And then he talks about, we need to make sure that they don't eat food sacrificed to idols. We don't abstain from food offered to idols, sexual immorality, eating the meat of strangled animals, and consuming blood, which are all very very unique um, activities that are associated with pagan idolatry. So, 10 commandments, 613 rules, two. No idolatry, no sexual immorality. And then, like, let's not require circumcision. So let's try not to offend the church people, and let's not put extra hardship on the people far from God. And I think that's just not for the ancient church. I think that's for all of us. Because I want to be someone that does not make it difficult for someone to come to Jesus. We started this church on the belief that if anyone was seeking God, those who seek me and find me will seek me with all their heart. That's what God said through the prophet Jeremiah, and that's what we believe. Let's not make it hard for people to find Jesus. So we got to commit to be bold and to advance the kingdom. Who's not here? Who are those people? If you're feeling really comfortable in your life, then you're not being bold enough. I'm not being bold enough. Who are the people that make you a little uncomfortable that you need to spend a little time with? Because the Holy Spirit's already working in their life. I guarantee it. God loves them so much and wants them to know him. Maybe he wants to use you to be a part of that. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the people in this room and for the people in our lives who are not in this room. Thank you for the children that are uh, learning about you and what it means to have a relationship with you in the other rooms. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way through undeserved grace for us, that you paid a high price, and when we think it's about following the rules, we actually lessen and cheapen what you did. God, I pray uh, that we would be a place that rather than running for rules, uh, we would, by your Holy Spirit, teach each other to think. That's what we see in these letters over and over and over. Paul didn't keep giving churches new rules to keep. He just keep, kept teaching them how to think as men and women in Christ. to advance the kingdom, to see those far, far from you 
to come to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way, no matter who we are, where we're from, what we've done, how much we've been to church, how, how little we've been to church, that you love us and that you made a way that goes over our ethnicity, that goes over our religion, that goes over our behavior to be reconciled, to be redeemed, to be restored to you. God, help us to be bold in those invitations to press in when we experience the tension, to walk through conflict well, to be a people and a church that doesn't balance truth and grace, but is the fullness of truth and grace in a way that actually makes the world drawn to you rather than repel the church. We love you, God. Amen. Amen.